Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. This week, I am not having an SLP on the podcast, but I actually have a special educator, Stephanie DeLucy. Am I saying it? <laughs> welcome, DeLucy. <laughs> edit that out. Stephanie <laughs> DeLucy. So welcome to the show. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey into education and the TPT online space. Hi, you guys. It's me, Stephanie DeLucy. You can find me over at Mrs. D's Corner, like all the things. And I'm one of those people that has always wanted to be a teacher. Like it is ingrained in like every inch of my body. Like I am meant to be a teacher. And I knew that I wanted to be a special ed teacher when I just remember very vividly, my mom met, was meeting one of her friends at Walmart and we were standing outside and her friend was talking about how her younger son needed extra help and he got special ed services. And then that was like when it clicked for me and I was like, that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do. So I've taught in quite a few different states and I've taught quite a few different things. So my journey started out in Pennsylvania. I taught extended school year through an intermediate unit. And I did that for four years, like during the summers. I've also taught in Delaware. I've taught in Virginia, Texas. I've been licensed in the state of Georgia, and I'm currently in the process of being licensed in the state of Florida. And I've wow. pretty much done like K to 12 everything. So. Inclusion, self-contained yep. resource room. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Push out and like push in. So Life skills? I, yeah. That was my self-contained classroom. Yeah. We were called a life skills classroom. Yep. 
Okay. Cause sometimes in some, like in my school, we have a self-contained and then we have like then a life skill. Gotcha. Yeah. So like, my, my classroom was called the life skills classroom, but it was, it was a self-contained classroom. All right. So, and then when in that journey, did you realize that you were starting to create materials for teachers pay teachers and starting Mrs. D's corner? My journey was kind of like an accident, I guess, because so in Pennsylvania and in a lot of places, it's really hard to find a teaching job. So after my first year of teaching, we got engaged that December of teaching, and then we got married the following summer. So I moved back to Pennsylvania from Virginia to be with my now husband, and I could not find a job to save my life. And somehow through like Googling or Pinteresting or something, I came across TPT and I put a couple things on there. And that was just kind of like the beginning of my TPT journey. Wow. That's awesome. And I mean, ever since then, you've been clearly growing and your resources are awesome. And so it's great. I've seen even the life skills teacher had your binder, like your morning meeting binder or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness, I know who made that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But one thing you've now found yourself to be quite passionate about is IEPs. Like, yes. That's one thing that people hate about the job. Like, what made you start loving it? (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved it. I feel like I'm kind of like the minority with it. Like uh, there are some people who love the paperwork and love like all of that stuff, but they don't have the time for it. I was one who like, I lived for the paperwork. I lived for writing IEPs and collecting all of the data, like huge data nerd. Like I just, I've always really enjoyed it. So I left the classroom due to my anxiety a couple of years ago and in my healing journey, it just kind of came to me and I was like, this is where and what I'm supposed to be doing right now is helping teachers with the paperwork and helping them maybe not fall in love with doing the paperwork, but at least make it easier for them to where they don't feel like it's such a burden or a hassle or it's just like, ugh, I have to write an IEP. Like I want them to be like, I need to write this IEP. It's going to take me an hour, maybe two, and then I'm good. Like, cause that's where I am and that's where, how long it took me. So I want to just teach other teachers how to, I guess, be in my mindset with IEPs. And did you always feel that way? Or was that something that you developed over time? I've always felt that way. Like even as a newbie, like you loved still. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And you you always felt, (laughs) did you ever feel any sort of, inkling of uncertainty like yes you might have always loved the data but like when it yeah. came to some like writing or terminology or how many goals to write did you have some uncertainties and probably so my first year because I was first year teacher I taught in Virginia and in Virginia you have to do everything so you you plan the meeting you schedule a meeting you write the IEP like you do everything So I feel like that was a great starting point for me. And I had a really good mentor. So I don't really remember like what her specific title was, but she was stationed at our school and she was like, I guess she was like the educational diagnostician, but she was my teacher mentor the first year. So she really taught me like the ropes of everything. So she, I feel like she gave me a really good foundation of where to start and what to do and what to work on and all of those things. And what was one area you felt like over the years you really developed more in? Writing IEP goals, I think. The goals, yeah. Because it's so different state to state and even district to district. They all do it so differently. But if you write a really solid goal, like 
it doesn't matter what state you're in or what district it in. As long as you have a solid goal, you have a good foundation for your kid. Mm -hmm. So, so true. And what is your one or two or three (laughs) bits of advice (laughs) from someone who's like, I hate goal writing. Like, where do I begin? Like, how many goals do I I don't want to get like philosophical. So there's so many different parts to writing an IEP. And I feel like one place where a lot of teachers struggle, where I feel like I've been too, is So say you have a kid who is in first grade and they're supposed to be working on single digit addition, but they can't even identify a number. Identifying that pathway of going from identifying a number to then being able to add. So like, what are the skills that you have to learn? Like that kid has to learn to build on one another to get to be able to add even like one plus one. So I think that that's one thing that teachers really struggle with that I feel like I have somewhat of a handle on, I don't know, (laughs) that I definitely see that, that teachers are struggling with. My suggestion, at least for a starting place, is to look at your states or if you're, so if you're Common Core, like Virginia had the SOLs and Texas has the TEKS and I think Florida has their own. But so look at your state standards and look at where the child is supposed to be at grade level. So like what they're supposed to be working on and then kind of go back. Like, so if they're in first grade, look at the kindergarten standards, look at the pre-K standards and determine what kind of line aligns like year to year to build on those skills. And some States like Texas, they have vertical alignment for their alternative state tests. So you can even Google that. Like if you Google like TEKS, vertical alignment, it literally gives you the skills like building on top of each other, which is really helpful too. That's awesome. And in terms like in, in, in relating that to in the speech world, like take your standardized test results and see where it falls in on the standards or the norms and where should they be norms wise? And then where are they functioning? And you can do the same mm-hmm. thing with just, you know, the norms hierarchy. So, yeah. And also th- looking at the child and thinking, what is realistic in expected growth. Yeah. Right. Like how do you find you determine that? Like, you know, could they do two steps? Can they do one step? What kind of for me? So I like to, to write functional IEP goals. So, and this is something I'm learning more about as I've become a master IEP coach and kind of engrossed myself in the other side of the table. So sitting with, you know, and learning from parents who are attending IEP meetings, but doing more functional goals. So not everything has to be about identifying what a fraction looks like. Like, can they look at something and identify a fraction in real life? Like, when are they really going to use fractions in real life? Or when are they really going to have to know one plus one in real life and using those situations and not just like, here's a flashcard, one plus one equals two. How can you relate that to like long-term in their real life? So true. And I find a lot of teachers get stuck on like the curriculum expectations versus so hard. Yeah. Versus the student and looking at them as an individual. And yes, you might be having a curriculum you have to follow, but you have to adapt it to each individual student based on their needs. And like, yes, in the same for us in the speech world, like we have five different students in our groups and we have to somehow treat them all. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) What advice do you have for someone who is also struggling with? scheduling and prioritizing and juggling it all with planning the meetings and all that fun stuff. At the beginning of every school year, you get your caseload, right? So at the beginning of every school year, what I do is I sit down 
And I look at every single student's IEP who's on my caseload. So I've had caseloads of like two kids. I've had caseloads of 40, 50 kids. So I sit down regardless of how large my caseload is. And I write down when every single child's IEP due date is on a calendar. So that way, when I'm flipping through a calendar, I can be like, oh, Stephanie's IEP is coming due next week. I should already have known two weeks ago, like in my mind, I have to have Stephanie's IEP written by today to send home to mom and dad. Like, so writing it down in a calendar, I'm very visual, really, really helps with knowing like what's due, when is it due, when do I need to do what by. And if you have to write in your calendar, okay, Stephanie's due date for her IEP is the 15th of December, but we have to send everything home a week early, right? A week early would be what, the 8th? So write on December 8th, send home Stephanie's draft IEP. Do what you need to do to remember all of the things mm-hmm. because we have so many other things on our plate. Just writing it out and getting it out of your brain so you can focus on other things will mm-hmm. be very, very beneficial. And I always find mapping things out in the beginning when you have a little bit more of that free timing up. Yeah. You might not be in the heat of like lesson planning at that point. I know two years ago, I was out on maternity leave for the first 12 weeks of school and I missed out on that like time frame to like yeah. organize my life. And I felt so discombobulated like the entire <laughs> school year. I was like, what day is it? What's due? Like this, like the school psychologist kept like yelling me like, hi, like, where's that report? And I'm like, I forgot. Oh my God. I'll get to it. <laughs> so I believe it. Like having that time. And I'm also the type of person like, not only do I need to schedule in when things are due, I need to schedule in when I'm doing them. Like I'm testing this kid on this day. I'm writing the report mm-hmm. during this prep period. Like I map it yeah. and to hold myself accountable. Yeah, same. Right. And what would you say to someone who's like, but I always get backed up. It takes me longer than expected. What would you say to them? Then you plan that into your schedule. So if you know that you're not going to be on time, then give yourself like an extra three days or however long it's going to take you extra. Now, some kids IEPs are going to take you longer than others, right? So some are longer than other students or some, you know, need more attention than others. So you know that as a teacher, so you can plan that into your time like right into your day, however your day works out at school or at home. Cause I've written plenty of IEPs at home too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's have you ever had any parents or team disagreements? Yes. Anything you would like to share and something you've learned from those situations? Oh, um, <laughs> without disclosing too much. You know? Yeah. So The year before I left the classroom due to anxiety, I've realized through therapy that this was probably the year that kind of started everything for me. I had a student who was put in my class from another school. He came from overseas and he was American, but his family was in the military, I think. And they came home and he got put in my class, but he was almost on grade level and he was put in a life skills classroom and he was per admin, only allowed out of my class 30 minutes a day. And it was completely not the child's LRE at all. And I fought that school district and that admin. And I had, I told the parents, I was like, I kept them very informed with how their child was doing. And the child was in my class through the entire rest of the school year. But at the end of the school year, we had an IEP meeting for the next school year and the child got placed in his proper placement because I fought for that student to be where he rightfully deserved to be. Typically it's like the opposite way around. Like you're fighting them yeah. to get them into the like the more restrictive or you know getting parents on board and admin and yeah. Usually never the opposite way. <laughs> no, I cried in that IEP meeting. 
because I was just like, so I guess the school where he was slated to go didn't have the LRE. So that's why they sent him to my school where I was. So we had to have like both schools. So like my school and that school come together and have an IEP meeting. And I just remember sitting in the IEP meeting and I was like, he is not a life skills student. He does not belong in life skills. He is almost on grade level. Like all of my other kids were like three or four grade levels behind. And he was almost on grade level. I remember crying in that meeting and yeah, it was a hot mess, but advocate for your students, like just do it. Your students deserve it. And that's why when you come to writing an IEP, like write it as if you're advocating for their every need because that you never know they might be moving and I mean you, that, you really and, that docu- are. and that document can be that could justify where they're placed like there's so many times I'm like oh they're gonna be here next year we'll worry about it next year and then we find it over the summer they moved I'm like oops like yeah really important are there any mistakes that you find that most teachers make when it comes to IEP writing oh that's a good question I mean I feel like we all go through having mistakes right mm-hmm. like None that really come to mind or like stick out that I've seen. Like, yeah, not not really. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> hey, I wanted to see if there's anything like other things that like people didn't realize they were doing that like they could do better. Like, I find the better I write a present level performance, the better it is for me to determine the goal. Like, the yeah, more time I focus on okay, what are they doing? What are they not doing? And then it's like okay, now the goal is just written practically for itself. I mean, we've all seen, we've all inherited a really bad IEP. Like <laughs> we've all been there, Yeah. but I don't honestly, so I don't place fault on the teacher's end mm-hmm. because so when I went to school, we were never taught how to write an IEP Wow. in all of the school districts I've worked in. So said what seven schools. Now I've worked in charter and public five, six different states, never been taught how to write an IEP. It was always have at it, write your IEP, you went to school for it. Like, so I don't fault teachers for not necessarily knowing the correct way or the best way to write an IEP. So that's also something that I have become very recently passionate about Mm -hmm. is helping teachers at least get a good baseline, especially for like the present levels and the IEP goals and making sure you have a parent input statement and things like that, that we just aren't taught that. And it's not a fault of our own. Like, you don't, know only you so don't many, know. Yeah, there's only so many yeah. things they can teach us, right? And yeah. even and even in graduate school, I learned it from my placement, not from the okay. classroom, not from my grad program. The grad program was like basic overview of stuff, but it was more on site when I learned it. Yeah, I do remember having to like look at an IEP in student teaching, but not to the extent that like as an actual teacher, you have to like write an IEP, mm-hmm. you know? Totally. Like looking at an IEP and writing an IEP are very two completely different things. And that's one thing like I take grad students all the time. That's one thing I always try as best as I can to get them the experience. But at the same point, like I feel like I hover. And I like by the end of the semester, I'm like, okay, you guys have to like think think of it on your own because I'm not gonna be there next semester. And but one thing I wanted you to explain about it, like I know one thing you are passionate about is like an IEP at a glance, like sheet and some sort of like summary. Yeah. Why is that important? And why do you think teachers and whoever's the case manager should have one? So general ed teachers don't shoot me because I know that you guys have a lot on your plate and it's not, I mean, even other. It's SLPs. It's speech pathologists listening to this. It's it's, all good. (laughs) 
it's, it's everyone. I mean, even other special ed teachers, like we just don't have the time to actually sit and read every single IEP for every single child. Like unless you're the caseload manager, if you see a child for 45 minutes, but you have eight different kids in inclusion and you have to read all of their IEPs, you're not going to do it. I've never known <laughs> Or you did that. it in the beginning of the year and you forget it. Like and, Right. And it changes. Like you just, there's so many other things not saying that that's right or wrong, but that's what happens. That's, that is the truth of teaching. Like there's so much stuff that we have to worry about. So by having the IEP at a glance, it gives the teacher or the SLP or the service provider or whoever that like, here is what the disability is, a secondary disability, you know, all of that. Here's their medical information that you need to know if there is any. Here are the accommodations that you need to know. Here are the goals that we're working on. And, you know, any other pertinent information that that person needs to know in like a quick shot. And they can digest it in like five, 10 minutes instead of 45 minutes reading an IEP. So true. And like it may take you a few extra minutes to create that for the students you're managing, but it'll end yeah. up helping that student and your colleagues out and yourself. I I think some, even like the IEP systems, they do it for you now, yeah. some of them. And, yeah. I know we use like IEP direct and it's there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I tend to create my own like binder with all my case and I have like my yeah. own sheet that I keep in there. Same. Um, but it's the same thing. It's just a matter of it's just prettier and pops more for me. What other like time saving tips for writing IEPs would you provide? Oh man. Um, top, top three. <laughs> top three. So one big thing is making sure that you get parent concerns addressed. And I like to send home just like a one sheet kind of survey type of thing that you send home to parents and ask them, like, what are your concerns? Maybe not even necessarily like educational, like what are you thinking long-term, you know, like functional goals, employment goals, like what are you thinking of long-term what's going on at home? Something that we could work on in school, maybe, So definitely getting the parent input is really important because they're part of the IEP team. Like without their child, they wouldn't have a job. (laughs) Very true. So doing that, when you come to the IEP meeting, make sure that you have everything with you, like all the data. And so like you said, you have a binder. Mm -hmm. I have a binder for each of my kids and it has everything in it, like work samples, all of their progress notes all of those things. And it's great because I can just pull their binder off the shelf at any point and go to a meeting and be like, here's everything that I have. What questions do you have? Here's what we've done. Those are definitely like my top two tips for, for anything IEP related IEP meeting. Definitely yeah. getting parent input and, and and being as prepared as possible, having yeah. that information. And what are some two things that you re- recommend to not say at an IEP meeting? Oh, that's really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two things. So. Definitely don't come to the IEP meeting with a predetermination of where the student's going to be because one, that's not how it works. You're an IEP team. So together you determine where the child's going to be placed. So definitely not coming to the IEP meeting with a predetermination of, you know, what, where you think the child should be or where the school's going to place the kid. Mm-hmm. Ooh, a, like a second, don't do it at an IEP meeting. I don't know. So I'm going to ask you a question now. So, because it's school to school has varied. So like in some schools, they were like, you can have water and snacks, like light snacks, like maybe a candies, like little pieces of hard candy on the table. And then other schools are like, no food. Like, what do you, what do you think about like that type of thing at an IEP meeting? We've had like, like a candy bowl. Like that's about yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it's more for like, like I work in a 
Title One schools. So a lot of times, like younger siblings have come and like they're coloring in the corner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's more, and it ends up being the candy bowl ends up being for us the uh, <laughs> the, the team <laughs> more than for the parents. Yeah. yeah, we're usually so bombarded back to back with meetings that like we don't want them lingering. So we. <laughs> We want them leaving. <laughs> yeah. So like ha- providing, we always joked around that, like, you know, we, we should provide food. We might entice them to show up more because we have a lot of parents that forget. Yeah. We have, we have a lot of no shows because they're working. They can't get out. Yeah. There's, you know, the language barrier. But uh, so it's not that we don't. It's just no one does it. So, yeah, I have seen other special ed providers and IEP coordinators doing this. And I think I think it is. It is uplifting and it makes yeah. a stressful situation not as stressful. I don't have anything against it. I love snacks. Like I am straight candy stash. Like come to my room and I'll give you Reese cups. <laughs> I mean, especially now all my, all my meetings are going to be Google meet. So I'm not even oh, meeting parents yeah. this year. So I if they can't want, really have candy. If they want to have a glass of wine, like, I don't even, I, I won't even. Have at it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm jealous. Like I can't. Because <laughs> I'm at I'm at work. I'm not, I'm not pregnant or anything. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean anything to make this situation because it can be I've had meetings where parents were in tears. I've had parent meetings where they're like fearful of the outcome, that this is something they've been wanting for years, and then we finally have gotten the paperwork in line. And mm-hmm. we have to remember that these are someone's children. And, yeah. you know, yes, there are students and it might be one of the 50 IEPs we are writing in a year or a hundred for some people, but there's someone's kids and anything yeah. to make the, the day, the meeting less stressful. And by seeing how they're doing, looking at them in the eye, th- those are the things that I think about when. Yeah. When listening to them mm-hmm. while they're there and not just brushing it off. Those are all, they just want what's best for their kid. Mm-hmm. And, and they want to know that that's what the team wants too. And it's not just another kid. Like, Yeah. Now, my question for you is how thorough did you get with jargon and test scores? So I've always had like the DIAG or the LSSP go through all of that. So <laughs> I personally have never had to dissect all of that in an IEP meeting. Yeah. That's something that's always like there's different philosophies on like, well, you should say everything. And I think it also depends on the clientele and you know how yeah. much they are familiar with everything. So that's something to also just be cognizant of is like, who you're speaking to and how many people have to speak at that meeting. And (laughs) I mean, even when I'm sitting at the table with, as the teacher and they go through it and they're like spewing all these numbers out. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that mean in relation to like what I'm going to be working on in the classroom? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we have to phrase it for the parents too. I don't want to say you have to dumb it down, but like just speak in like everyday terms. Mm -hmm. And just don't use the jargon. I know we're so used to speaking in acronyms and jargon, but do your best to not to do that. Mm-hmm. Any other tips or things that you feel like people should be aware of when it comes to writing an IEP, informing parents, meetings, anything else that we didn't just cover? Don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid to ask for help. Like if there's nothing wrong with asking for help, if you don't know how to do something or you you want to learn how to do it better, like ask for help. There's no shame at, and at all in asking anyone else for help. I love it. And where can people find more about you and ways they can learn to improve their IEP writing skills? So you can find me at Mrs. D's Corner. And then if you want to learn more about IEPs, I also run theintentionalieep.com. And I have trainings over there and blog posts and everything. 
IEP related. And we'll have everything in the show notes. So not to worry, we'll have links to everything. So you can find everything about Stephanie and the intentional IEP and improve and perfect your IEP writing skills and confidence. So thank you so much, Stephanie. And where, and where can people find you on like Instagram and all and TPT? It's just all at Mrs. D's corner. Yep. So TPT, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, just at Mrs. D's corner. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Do you have a favorite joke? Oh, I don't. Do you? I don't have a favorite, but I, I have a joke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> is it quicker to be hot or cold? I don't know. Hot is quicker because you can catch a cold. All right. That's <laughs> that's true. That's true. Something to think about, guys. As you're heading <laughs> as as you are heading into work on this Monday morning, that you can catch a cold. So hot is quick. You know, guys, I'm cheesy. And I had, after I, uh, a heavy talk about IEP writing, I had to end it with a joke, like I always do. So thank you, Stephanie, perfect. so much. And to everyone listening, stay out of trouble. Are you tired of spending hours prepping and planning and not feeling totally confident after all of that? Make sure you check out my free webinar, How to Plan with Ease and Confidence Without Burning Yourself Out. Check it out today at speechtimefund.com slash webinar. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.